Praise God. Amen. It says this in verse 20, But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. So let me, let me kind of put the brakes on right here for just a moment. We're going we're gonna to do um, some reviewing because, uh, number one, we need to review these things because of their importance. But also, number two, um, each of these sermons are building on the next. And so we want to kind of go back and refresh your heart and, 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 and your mind on some of the key points that we've covered uh, you know, up until this morning. Obviously, the full sermons are available for you free of charge if you'd, if you'd like to access those. But one of the things that I'm, I, I'm not sure that we've exactly pointed out here, at least as it relates to this verse that I want to make sure we do this morning, is that word learned, but you have not so learned Christ. That word is the root word for discipleship that, that we find in the, in the New Testament. And it's the word manthano in, in, the, in the original language. And manthano means to put forth an intense effort to learn by experience. In other words, a disciple is not just someone who sits in a room and learns, but a disciple is someone who learns by doing. J- Jesus you know, took his disciples out into the, into the world around them, and, and they learned through real-life experience. And so this is what he's talking about here, but you have not so learned Christ. Now, let me um, let me go back for a moment, and uh, you're fine, sister. Praise God. Let me let me go back for a moment because the verses above this, and I'm not going to read all of those, but the verses above this are talking about born again believers who are living far beneath um, what Father God, uh, you know, has given to them, who they are in Christ. Uh, as a matter of fact, it says that they're living separated from the life of, as the, I'm sorry, thank you, Holy Spirit. They're living as people who have been separated from the covenant of God, from the life of God, when in actuality they, they are not separated from that, but they've been given that. Simply put, they're living like outsiders when they're not outsiders, they're insiders. He said they're living like heathens, Gentiles, who have no covenant with God when they're not heathens. They're not people who have no covenant with God. They do have a covenant with God. And so this is, so then the next verse is, but you've not so learned Christ. But notice first word in verse 21, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, Paul to Timothy said that God's desire is for all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For a long time in my life, I thought those two things were one and the same. I thought being saved meant coming to the knowledge of the truth, or that you came to the knowledge of the truth and you got saved. But that's not what he says. He says that he would that all men become, be saved, in other words, receive the gift of salvation. And then once they receive that gift of salvation, what? <laughs> that they would come to the knowledge of the truth. So what is he saying here? He's saying there's a whole bunch of born-again people on planet Earth who have not yet come to the knowledge of the truth. doesn't mean they're not saved. doesn't mean they're not saved. But notice, again, in verse 17, we, haven't looked, we didn't read that one per se, but chapter 4, verse 17, he says they're living as people who don't know God live out of the futility of their mind. In other words, they're, they're living their lives based upon what they know. Now, here's one of my quotes. I, I, I kind of poke fun at myself. I, the first book I wrote, uh, Becoming a Threat to Addiction, I, when I sent it to the editor, um, she, one of the questions she says is, you've got all these quotes in the book, but they're not assigned to anybody. Who are you quoting? I said, well, I'm quoting myself. 
She said, well, if you're quoting yourself, you don't put the, the quotation marks around. That's just you speaking. I said, okay, all right. So, um, so what, <laughs> you know, you learn. Praise God, you learn. So, so here's one of my quotes, okay? Your life reality will rise and fall to the level of your thinking. Your life reality will rise and fall to the level of your thinking, okay? You can't live beyond your thinking. Or let me say it another way. You can't live beyond your knowing. You can't live beyond your understanding, so you got a bunch of people who are living like outsiders, who are not outsiders. They're behaving like heathens, and they're not heathens. They're the people of God. They're sons and daughters of God. They have a covenant with God. God is, the blessing of Abraham is upon them. But they don't know that. They don't understand that. So he says, you've not so learned Christ. This, see, that's where the discipleship comes in. It, it basically, when he says, you've not so learned Christ, he's like, this, this, these are not the hallmarks of a disciple of Christ. Because a disciple of Christ is someone who, who, is, who, who is being taught by Jesus, who's, who's learning these things from Jesus. So that's the if. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Well, clearly he's talking to a group of people who have not heard him and have not been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, we've got a, a little more we're going to come back to to, to uh, Ephesians 4 you stay there I'm going to put Matthew 11 28 29 and 30 up here we're going to join these two together so in Matthew 11:28, Jesus speaking he says come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me see there's that discipleship word again learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So there's, there's a, a, a pattern revealed in this verse that carries over into all the different aspects and realities of your salvation. And, and the pattern is this. Come and I will give, learn and you will find. Come and I will give, learn and you will find. Come and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. He didn't say, learn from me and I'll give you rest. No, rest is given by grace. There, you can't buy rest. You, 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 you can't earn rest. You can't earn anything that God has uh, to, to give to you. He'll be in debt to no man, but he'll freely give you all things. So you come to him and he gives you freedom. You come to him and he gives you righteousness. You come to him and he gives you wisdom. You come to him and he gives you prosperity. But you've got to learn from him in order to find those things, discover those things, and experience those things in your life reality. It's amazing to me the number of people that God has given rest to who, who sleep very poorly at night because of anxiety and stress and worry in their lives. They, it's because they haven't learned from Him. They haven't learned how to live in rest. They haven't learned how to walk in freedom. They haven't learned how to enjoy and experience prosperity. They, 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 have, they have no idea how to live righteously because they don't understand they've, they've been made righteous. They don't, they don't understand it. The Bible doesn't ever tell you to be righteous. It tells you to awake to righteousness. Amen. Come and I'll make you righteous. And then let me teach you. This is what he's saying. Let me teach you. Learn from me. Be discipled by me. Be discipled by me. And you will find righteousness. You will experience the blessing and the glory and the peace and the joy of right living in your life reality. Are you with me this morning? Is this making sense to you? So that's what he's saying here when he says, let's go back then, verse, chapter 4, verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed 
you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Anybody know why the lusts of your flesh are deceitful? They're deceitful because they promise fulfillment but then jerk the rug out from under you. They're they're deceitful because on, on one hand they're telling you if you do this you'll feel better. But what they don't tell you is you only feel better for a little while and then after that you feel even worse than you did before you did whatever it was that was supposed to make you feel better fulfilling the lust of your flesh. It's this classic issue of people trying to fulfill their, um, praise God, for some reason I lost my connection here, amen. It's when, the, when the microphones went out a while ago, I thought, you're not stopping me, devil. I, I, I speak four mornings a week in an auditorium with no microphone. I can, man, I could, I'm telling you, I could, I could turn this microphone off and y'all could hear me in the parking lot, praise God. Amen. <laughs> but I'd rather not do that, but I'm thankful for, for the microphone. Amen. Praise God. So he's saying, I'm going to put it back up here. Thank you, Jesus. I was somewhere really important with all this as well. Oh, the deceitful lust. So they, they, they promise you satisfaction. They promise you fulfillment. They promise you relief, but it's only fleeting. And so the, the classic mistake is we try to satisfy the inward hunger of the heart with the outward things of the flesh. And it, and it creates a compounding problem in our lives because the inward hunger of the heart never gets addressed. And as we try to satisfy that inward hunger with outward things... It just creates more and more destructive appetites in our outward man without ever satisfying the needs of the inward man. So he's saying that you have to put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man, that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So we saying we got to put off the old and we got to put on the new. And how do we do that practically and effectively? By being renewed in the spirit of our mind. By being renewed in the spirit of our mind. So what have we learned about the spirit of your mind? That the spirit of your mind is actually your self-image. It's the way you see yourself in your own mind. It's the way you think of yourself. It's what you believe to be true about yourself. It's, it's how, praise God, it, 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 it's how you even think uh, in your mind. And, I, and we'll get into this, maybe not this morning, but in, at a later date. But see, how you see yourself is how you think other people see you. And so because you think other people see you the way you see yourself, then you're constantly trying to trick people. You're constantly trying to make them think things about you that aren't necessarily true. This is why people exaggerate. Come on now. This, this is why people hide themselves. This is why people are afraid to let other people know who they really think they are, right? Because they're afraid that people won't like who they think they are. And so they try to make people think they're somebody else. Well, there's a lot to go along with that, but I'm getting too far ahead of myself. So, again, a quick review and this is where we're going to settle in this morning, uh, and so we'll cycle back to this. But, but last week we introduced this idea that, that, that we actually are dealing with three images, and that's because we are a three-dimensional being. You are a spirit, you possess a soul, and you have or, or live in a physical body. And so, again, these three images are your true image, then your self-image, 
And then finally is this, this idea of your outer image. This, again, is the one that we project or present to the world around us. And so we said that the, that the spirit of your mind is your self-image. And we also said that we need uh, to be made new again in the way we see ourselves. We need another image of ourselves, a self-image that reflects the new man we have become, the one created by God in true righteousness and holiness. Don't miss this next slide. The fundamental issue born-again people struggle with is we have a new man but are trying to live from an old self-image. So the true image has been created by God in in true righteousness and holiness. That's, that's That's who you truly are. That's your true being. But then we see that, that this is who God made us, but we have a different image of ourselves than our true image in Christ. So the fundamental issue born-again people struggle with is we have a new man, but are trying to live from an old self-image. I defeat my Creator Father's purpose for making me a new man if I insist on clinging to the inward image of my former self, the old man that only exists in my mind. I know we've been over this a couple of times already, and I am unashamedly, unapologetically, I'm a, we may do it again, uh, we may do it again Wednesday night, praise God, <laughs> amen, I, but may definitely do it again next Sunday morning. I, again, th- th- these, there, there, is, there is a truth here that will move you forward in your growth and development in such a a powerful and profound way. We often ask the question that the Lord asked me around here a a couple of years ago, don't you want to know what kind of life is on the other side of the wall you keep hitting? A wrong self-image is one of the main walls that we keep hitting. Years ago, we, we began to preach on the kingdom, and, and Richard Presswood told me later, he says, man, that's the mothership, isn't it? I mean, that's like, it all kind of goes back to the, to the kingdom. And when we talk about discipleship and, and personal growth and development, learning and gaining understanding and memorizing Bible verses, all these things, extremely important. But the mothership of all of this, as it pertains to discipleship, is, is, is the image that you have of yourself. And as long as the image you have of yourself does not agree with or line up with the true image, the man that was created in true righteousness and holiness by God through the new birth, amen, then there's going to be different and varying degrees of issues and problems in your life reality. So again, I defeat my Creator Father's purpose for making me a new man If I insist on clinging to the inward image of my former self, the old man that only exists in my mind. So here we go. This is a little long, but we're going to do it, all right? Jesus has made you new, but how big of a difference will it make as long as you cling to the inward image of your old self? Jesus has made you righteous, but what has really changed if you still see yourself as a sinner? Jesus has made you free, but how can you enjoy freedom in your life reality if you still think of yourself as an addict and a slave to sin? Jesus has made you a powerful force for himself and his Father's kingdom. What impact will that have, amen, if you continue to believe you're a weakling and a nobody with nothing to offer? Jesus has given you unimaginable blessings. That's what Matthew was talking about a a moment ago. He's given you unimaginable blessings and wealth, but what meaningful difference will you experience if your opinion of yourself is poor, pitiful, and unworthy? 
So again, we've learned that your life reality is a reflection of your self-image. We said that Gideon had a self-image problem. And we said that Gideon's self-image problem led to a self-esteem problem. And then we said that Gideon's self-esteem problem led to a self-worth problem. And then we said Gideon's self-worth problem led to what? A self-confidence problem. Can anybody relate? I know I certainly can in my own life. And then Gideon's self-confidence problem led to a self-imposed limitation problem. So the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and Gideon's whining and hiding in fear and poverty. And they're crying out, oh God, why are you letting this happen to us? And God's like, are you kidding me? I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt. I'm the God that fed you in the wilderness. I'm the God that, 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 that told you that I've given you all this. It was all these things. But see, they didn't see themselves that way. They saw themselves as former slaves. They saw themselves as ex-slaves. They saw themselves as, that, that was the image that they had of themselves. Generations later, they still had that image in their, of themselves that was forged in them and in their ancestors in Egypt. So I'm going to say it just a different way. Gideon did not have the right image of himself. This caused him to underestimate himself, which caused him to devalue himself, which caused him to question himself, which caused him to limit himself. I'm going to keep saying it now. I'm, uh, amen. It is impossible to have a poor self-image and high self-esteem. You can't do it. So notice now, the devil doesn't have to work overtime to, to make you feel unworthy if he can just keep the wrong image of yourself in your mind. Because if, 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 you, if, if you have an image of yourself as, as just an old sinner saved by grace and poor, pitiful, me, if, you, if that's the image you have of yourself, then he doesn't have to uh, devalue you. You will do that for him. He doesn't have to trivialize you. You'll trivialize yourself for him. It's impossible to have a poor self-image and a high self-esteem. It's impossible to have a low self-esteem and a high self-worth. It's impossible to have a low self-worth and a high self-confidence. And this is kind of where the whole rubber meets the road. It's impossible to have low self-confidence and function in the potential you possess as the offspring of God. I'm winding up preaching last Sunday sermon again. That's okay. I'm not. It's all right. Okay. Anybody remember this one? All fear is rooted in a wrong self-image. All fear is rooted in a wrong self-image. And because that's true, you'll never overcome your fear problem until you overcome your self-image problem. As long as Gideon saw himself as a nobody, he could not accomplish what God had for him to accomplish. Gideon was living in fear and poverty and was hiding from an enemy he had been given victory over, all because he had the wrong image of himself. So last review, just to remind you. You have been given victory over everything Jesus has victory over. Including death itself. You have been given victory. See, see, Gideon was given victory over the Midianites. And all, all, over all those other parasites and parasites and Philistites, Philistines and all them others, right? All them other means, meanies, right? He had victory over all of them. He didn't see himself as somebody who had victory over them. 
He talked about how he was the least in his family and his family was the least in his tribe and his, in his clan and all this other stuff. Now, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Praise God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, we know that God is a trinity, meaning He's one God in three persons. He is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is why he used plural pronouns here. When he said, let us make man in our image. This is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all coming together in agreement for this to be done, for this to take place. Amen. And then, of course, he gives us some clues into, into what our created you know, rights are going to be, that we're going to be given dominion by God over our domain now just to kind of shore this up first thessalonians chapter 5 verse 23 now may the god of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our lord jesus christ so a three yet one god created you a three yet one being you are a three-dimensional being. You are a spirit. You have a soul. And you live in, exist in on this planet, a physical body. You are a spirit. Your spirit is the real you. Your soul is the part of you that thinks and feels and chooses. It's your mind, it's your emotions, and it's your will. And then your physical body is the outward part of you that your spirit and soul reside in like an like a astronaut in outer space in a space suit. You reside in an earth suit here on this planet like a hand in a glove. And one day when our spirit and soul slip out of this body, we'll call it death, but death means separation. That's when your spirit and soul separate from your physical body. They do not cease to exist. The body returns to the earth from which it came, but the spirit and soul are going to live or die forever somewhere. So a three-dimensional God created you as a three-dimensional being. I know we've covered that exhaustively now for many, many years, but I just want to remind you of that, or if you are not aware of that, I want to let you know that, because understanding that you are a three-dimensional being is critically important if you're ever going to understand the importance and power of self-image. In the same way, it's important to understand if you're ever going to understand the importance and power of, of, um, of the new birth. You'll never understand salvation until you understand spirit, soul, and body because the Bible that you have in your lap speaks of your salvation in three tenses. It speaks of your salvation as a past-completed uh, act with present tense uh, uh, implications. It also speaks of it as an ongoing act, and it also speaks of your salvation in a future tense, as a future act. It says, have been saved, are being saved, shall be saved. 
And if you don't understand spirit, soul, and body, you'll be very confused because denominational lines, entire denominational lines have been drawn over the differences uh, about what people think about have been, are being, will be. And so the question is, well, which one is it, Pastor Mark? It's all three at the same time. If you've been born again, you have been saved. That's your spirit. If, if you are being saved, he's talking about the ongoing progressive work of the renewing of the mind and discipleship. And you have been saved. Now you're learning and coming to the knowledge of the truth. And then your salvation will be complete at some point in the future when your body now becomes a glorified body. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you've got to understand spirit, soul, and body. When I teach on this in discipleship class, and we're about a week or two away from that section, okay? When I teach on this in discipleship class, I, I say this. I say an understanding of these three things will answer at least a thousand questions for you. And I'm not exaggerating. I, I actually believe you cannot understand the Bible unless you understand spirit, soul, and body. Because there are verses in the Bible that speak to your flesh and, and, and talk about your flesh. There are verses in the Bible that speak to and talk about your soul. And then there are verses in the Bible that speak to and talk about your spirit. See, I never understood in Proverbs when it says, when it talks about a man who wins souls is wise. And so we bring that over to the New Testament and we talk about preaching the gospel so people can, can get born again. Now, I have no problem, listen to me, I have no problem with that. But if you look at the context of he who wins souls is wise, he's talking about people in business who are able to sway people's thinking. They're able to, to get people to, to, to come together in agreement towards a common cause or, 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 or some business proposition or what have you. In other words, he's saying that someone who can win over someone else's thinking, someone else's emotions, someone else's choices is, is, a, is a wise man. The Bible talks about the salvation of your soul. He's not talking about you being born again. He's talking about the ongoing work that God does in your, in your, in your thinking, in your mind, in your feelings, your emotions, and in your choices, in your will. It's the spirit that's born again. Jesus taught us that, did he not? That which is born of the flesh is flesh, Nicodemus, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Because you are a three-dimensional being, it is therefore possible for you to have three different versions of yourself. No wonder people are so confused. No wonder people have so much anxiety. Do you realize how mentally and emotionally draining it is to try and keep up appearances? Do you ask how many people in the body of Christ are putting on airs when we should be putting on Christ? And how, how in, in, again, just how mentally and emotionally taxing this is the underlying sense of anxiety that so many people live with because they're afraid somebody's going to see who they really are and they don't even know who they really are. They're afraid somebody's going to see who they think they are and who they think they are isn't even who they are. Because you're a three-dimensional being, it is possible for you to have three different versions of yourself. 
Number one, your true self. This is who God made you to be. If you've been born again, this is who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus, your true self. This is the one that he's talked about in Ephesians 4 that was created, the past tense, was created in true righteousness and holiness. Then we got the second version of ourselves. This is the way we see ourselves. Ourselves. This is the way you see yourself. This is the way I see myself. Would to God that we all could see ourselves the way heaven sees us right now. This is the way you see yourself. And then the third version is the version of yourself you present to the world. This is the self we let everybody see. Now, there is obvious disparity. Do you understand what I mean by disparity? Difference. In other words, if, for instance, if you take the way you see yourself and the way you want people to see you, right, there, there is lack of, of harmony there. There, 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 you know, and I'm, I'm not necessarily saying that, that, that that's what we need. Please hear me, okay? At least as long as there's a difference between the way we see ourselves and our true self. Tremendous tension exists between the way we see ourselves and the way we want other people to see us, the way we think of ourselves and the way we want other people to think of us. Now, I'm going to put another slide up here, three images. Again, your true image, that's, that corresponds with your spirit. Okay? I think you probably figured it out already, but your self-image, that resides in your soul, in your mind. It's, it has to do with your thinking. It, again, it has to do with, with what you understand or believe to be your true image, what you think you really are. And then the outer image is, is the body. And, and, and this is what, again, we, we want other people to see. This is what we present to the world. Now, I've got so many things firing off in me. I have pages and pages of notes. We're going to have to... I even put this in my notes that, that it's going to take us... We've got a lot of building to do here. We've got a lot of unpacking to do here. And, and I'm, I'm going to... Amen. We're going to, in Jesus' name, this morning I prayed more about what I was not supposed to say than what I was supposed to say. Amen. Because I'm, I don't want to confuse you. There, there, you. I want this to build and flow in a way to where as, as we progress through it, it just becomes so clear and it becomes so obvious and it becomes so uh, apparent to you. Okay. So let's get all this really, really nailed down. If, if we can all recognize before we're finished right now, this morning, if we can all recognize that, yes, indeed, there are these three images. There's, there's our true image, there's our, there one, our self-image, and then there's the one we present to the world. It's easier to recognize the disparity between the one we have of ourselves in our minds and the one we present to the world, okay? Because we, we all know about that, right? Amen? Like when you go to somebody else's house and there's laundry on the floor, it's no big deal. But if they come to your house and there's laundry on the floor, it's a really big deal. You know? 
Because we all live in our houses and have fun until company's coming. Then we start stuffing stuff in the oven. We start throwing stuff down the basement steps, you know. Because after all, we want everybody to think that we're neat and tidy and people and all this other stuff, right? You know, don't you love it when your car's a mess and your, co- and your co-worker says, man, I'm low on gas. Can we go to lunch in your car today? Why don't we just order takeout? You know, it's like, you know. Because you don't want them to see 17 Starbucks coffees laying in the passenger floorboard of your car, right? Now, I'm, these are simple things, but it gets a whole lot more from here. But it's easier to recognize the difference between the person we want people to think we are and the person that we think we are. It's a lot easier to recognize the difference, the disparity there, than perhaps it is to recognize the difference and the disparity the, the other direction. In other words, who we truly are and who we think we are. Let me tell you something. The difference between who you think you are and who you really are is much greater than the distance between who you think you are and what you present to the world. And that's good news. So I'm going to do it one more time. This time, three images. Are you ready? Your true image, your spirit. And this is what the Bible calls as you are known. And this comes out of 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Paul is talking about development and growth. He's talking about when he was a child, he thought like a child because he understood like a child and because he spoke like a child, but he's put away childish things. In other words, he's committed himself to going from a spiritual infant to a spiritual child, from a spiritual child to a full-grown spiritual adult. And the process of doing that, right, is, is, is looking into this mirror. And he says, now I'm looking into this mirror and the reflection that's coming back at me is dim, but there's coming a day that when I look in the mirror, it will be as if I'm looking face to face with myself and what day is that that's the day that we're looking face to face with Jesus he says now I know in part can I just put in what now I see myself only partly the way heaven sees me but then I shall know myself just as I am also known what philosopher was it said know thyself Again, that's because of all these, you know, which one are we? Are we, the, are we the true, are we the self image, or are we the outward image? If you're going to know yourself, you've got to know who your creator made yourself to be. Amen. Singers, musicians, come on, praise God. Now, this is, if I had time to tell you, this is what I would tell you this morning, Okay. <laughs> I was out of time in class the other morning, and I said, if I had five more minutes, this is what I would tell you, and I just took five more minutes. Anyway, praise God. Anybody want to guess where your true potential lies? Not in the person you present to the world. Your true potential doesn't lie in your self-image. Your true potential is in your true image. I'm talking about what you're capable of accomplishing. Remember, Gideon had the wrong image of himself, which wound up causing him to what limit himself. Oh, I can't do that. And God says, you can destroy the nation of Midian as one man. That was his true potential. 
But that's not how that's not how Gideon saw himself, was it? Now, let me just give you a little taste of where we're heading, okay? Remember, you were created in whose image? In God's image. And whose likeness? God's likeness. Why did he create you in his image? He could have created you. If you read in the book of Revelation about some of the, the, the beings that God has created in heaven with all the different wings. and I mean, he is creative, man, I'm telling you. You think the insects are creative. Wait to see what's in heaven and the beings that are there. And you're not going to be afraid of them. You're going to love them. He could have created you in any shape, form, or fashion he wanted. I mean, he could have, you know, octopus got eight arms. I mean, he, he, any way he wanted to create you, he is a creative God. He didn't create you any other way other than in his image. You know why he created you in his image? Because he created you to reflect his glory. He created you to reflect his image in his created realm. Think about that for a minute now. He created you to reflect his image in his created realm. So, Let's just say this and and then we'll do communion. You exist to know him and to make him known. Amen? Now, when we say reflect, I was praying, um, let's see, when was it? It was either yesterday morning or this morning. I believe it was this morning. I'm like, Father... There's something here with all this reflection and mirror and, and the soul reflecting uh, the, the, the spirit and, and, and all of this stuff. And I know that you created us to reflect your glory. Help me understand that. And immediately the Holy Spirit took me to the biggest example of this that you can imagine. Our own moon. You realize our moon's not on fire. You realize we're not, we're not wanting to send people back to the moon because we're wanting to change out the halogen bulbs for LEDs, right? The moon does what? It reflects the sun. The sun's where the power and the light is. God created the moon to reflect the sun. If our sun should go out, our moon, if our moon lost connection with the sun, it would, it would not reflect. So you have the glory of the sun, but then you have the glory of the moon, which the glory of the moon is found in its ability to reflect the glory of the sun. Are you following me? This was exactly what God had in mind when he created you and me. For you and me to reflect his glory. When Adam lost his connection with God, now he's fallen short of the glory of God. There's there's no glory for him to reflect. And so this is where we started all this trying to make ourselves out to be something. Amen. Amen. Stand with me this morning. You get anything out of this?
So we're going to partake of communion this morning. Um,